From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. This is the best beer show on the internet. Certainly is one on the internet, yes. (laughs) Man, wasn't that a much better (laughs) intro than the last one? (laughs) It's almost like you guys rehearsed that or something. It was impressive. Only like four times. (laughs) I don't know. Right. All right, we have a uh, full uh, in and virtual studio uh, happening right now. Uh, we have Jason and Gordon uh, joining us again in studio, and then we have uh, BJ Harrison uh, joining us from uh, sunny Texas, I believe, correct? That is correct. All right. It is sunny today. I was going to say, is it sunny in Texas right now or not? It is. It's a beautiful 80 degrees outside today. <sighs> I just assumed. That's amazing. It like, sounds too hot. The sun is bigger then, sounds right? It's too hot. <laughs> You're wrong, but I still respect you. Well, so yeah, the thing Gordon found a problem with wasn't the sunny day, which if it weren't too hot, he would probably have a problem with that. There's no such thing as too hot. Yes, there is. All right. You can always put more layers no, there, on. You cannot take more layers off once you hit a certain point, Gordon. Yes. All right, Gordon. There's we, always one more layer. Gordon, can we do the whole <laughs> show? Can we do the show now? Gordon. <laughs> All right. Um, we, we have a full show, uh, so we're going to kind of uh, skip past some of the normal, uh, what we've been up to in beer. Uh, but first, uh, BJ, you're going to be uh, talking to us about some mead today. We're going to be trying one of yours. Um, tell me a little bit about your homebrewing background. Um, I have none <laughs> other than talking to just hanging out with some friends at homebrew and listening to them. And I was like, yeah, I want to try this. But I also don't want to spend a ton of money. And I kind of want to get in, you know, try something easy that is a lot harder to mess up and had a buddy turn me on to mead. And I love the I love Vikings and history and and stuff like that. And so I was like, you know what, let's try mead. I went and spent some money, not a lot, spent about less than 100 bucks, got started. And here we are. Oh, that's awesome. Just knocking out some batches. Awesome. Um, yeah, so we're going to we're gonna dive uh, into that in just a minute here. Um, unfortunately, uh, the way the timing worked out is we have another homebrew to try, and I was not able to get it to you, so you're going to hear us talk about a beer that you can't taste, and I feel very sorry about that. Um, but we need to uh, – we're going we're gonna to dive into that right away. It is the rebrew of the Every Style uh, Challenge Amber, um, and this is the one that Brian helped me come up with. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, you should be terrified about it. <laughs> well, I didn't execute the the brew on it, so I'm way less terrified. Oh, okay, yeah. So you just you get to just kind of push everything off of there. Uh, so this is 19A of the BJCP style guidelines. If you want to pull yeah, that up, it Brian, is. it is up. Uh, I'll give you the the basics: low to moderate hop aroma, uh, New World varieties, because this is an American amber 19A. So citrus, citrus, floral, pine, resin. Tropical stone fruit, blah blah, um, all the things you 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 like out of the American New World hop. So and obviously it's an amber, so amber to coppery brown is good. Uh, Off white head, uh, good retention, clear. Uh, dry hop versions may have a little haze. Um, probably medium to medium full body, I'd say. Um, you know, if it were, if you were full, you know. <clears throat> to high full, probably we're out of out of whack. Uh, medium to high carb. So everything about this beer is like beer flavored beer 
Beer flavored amber beer, except for the way the hops can work on this. But you don't want to go over the top, so just just keep it middle of the road. Um, amber, hoppy, moderate, strength, American craft beer, caramel, multi flavor balance uh, can vary a lot. Um, some versions really malty, others aggressively hoppy. So this this has a pretty broad spectrum if you, if you uh, subscribe to the way things should work. Uh, according to the BJCP guideline. All right. Uh, do you guys want the recipe on this? Oh. Yes, please. Sir. All right. It is 80% two-row, um, 7.3% uh, Bonlander Munich 10 from Brees, 7.3% uh, uh, Victory Malt from Brees, 3.5% uh, uh, C40 from Brees, and about 2% uh, Chocolate Malt from Baird's. Um, then we did 32 IBUs of Cascade at 60 minutes um, and an ounce of Cascade at Flameout uh, and fermented with American Ale 2 from Y-East. I, I, I'm a very big fan of that strain. I, I would throw that as a house strain at anything. Which is why we used it, because, well, Brian was like, well, why don't you just use this one instead of 1056? And I was like, fine. <laughs> uh, it's how I roll. I make suggestions. It's, yep. it's such a clean <laughs> fermenting yeast, and it's so forgiving. So I'm, I'm just curious about the chocolate malt. I listened to the episode where you guys were putting it to, the recipe together. I'm just curious. When I, when I heard chocolate malt, I think stout porter kind of in that realm. I mean... I think we were we were kind of speaking to the way that you might layer a beer like this, mm -hmm. but I think if you listen to the episode, I probably what I said was you, we can't overdo it on. We wanted uh, we used the chocolate mostly for color. Mm -hmm. uh, we were looking to darken it just a little bit, and you get a little yeah. bit of that like there's some chocolate malt in there, and there's a little bit of that roast, but it's not not roasty. Well, if that makes what, sense. What do yeah. we what do we always say about like these types of roast malts? Is one of two things: one, a little bit goes a long way, and two, it's not going to taste like chocolate unless you're layering some other like caramel or sweeter type of malt in it. Yeah. It's just it's deceiving. Like chocolate malt doesn't taste like chocolate; it tastes like cocoa, like like unsweetened chocolate cocoa and so we've we've got to like put we've got to put some other pieces into play in order to make the chocolate malt be what we think we want it mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. um and then this uh started at 1058 and we finished at 1010 okay decent yeah drinks that way yeah decent it's, it's a little bit i i feel like it's a little bit drier because it feeling because of the the bitterness and the and the um, that we used um, with the cascade and then the chocolate malt, I think, kind of gives it a no. false, a little bit of a false bitterness. Um, yeah. So, a little bit of, I guess, anecdotal um, on this is I had this beer and the double on yesterday, and I had my family over. Uh, people were drinking the amber a lot more than the double, um, just because it se it seems like the more drinkable of the two. That makes yeah, sense. That makes sense. Um, um, yeah, we're. Lay it on me. I, there's something. Yeah, no, let's talk. Yeah, Jason. Um, in, in terms of amber beers, I kind of like keeping, especially American amber beers, I like keeping them stupid simple. Yeah. Uh, for a lack of better terms, base malt, one color adjustment, and that's it. Um, something sitting in like the twenty to forty level bond range. Um, and this is <laughs> as it's. I mean, it's not an American adjunct, but I love throwing Kara Amber or Kara Munich at this style. 
Sure. Absolutely love it. Um, you get a lot more of those bready flavors coming through, plus a little bit of that caramel sweetness, but it seems restrained. So you can go a little bit more light-handed on it. Okay. Uh, and then it seems to dry out the beer a little bit more, which I personally really like with a style that I want to drink a lot of. Right. And so. then my to my worry, I think why we went the C40 route is because of the potential of C60 oxidizing. Not that like homebrew is going right. to sit long enough. You're not going to sit long enough but to I think really worry about like it. Like a good practice is to, to think, yep. you know, think ahead. Yeah. So, well, all right. And I mean, that's the fantastic thing when you look at a Cara Amber or a Cara Munich, uh, Munich one. I mean, you're looking at something that's somewhere between 20 to 25 Love a Bond or. What, 35 to Probably 35 more, to 40 level? More like a, yeah, 35, 40. Yeah, if you're going at that Kara Munich level. But mm-hmm. the Kara Amber is pretty light still. Yeah. So you can throw a decent amount at that, and instead of having this intense sweet, you end up with a very complex, bready sweetness that actually works really well for the style. I think when we were creating this, uh, that's another thing that I'm that I'm like... The, uh, another reason why that I threw the other yeast at it was was to get it a, a little bit more dry. Yep. I think yep. it'll flock more. Yep. Um, I, I know it does. And I just, I, f- I feel like this style should leave you wanting more and more sips. And I yes. think that generally the drier it is, the more you're like, oh, I need to like wet my palate so, some more. I guess um, style-wise, what do you guys think? No, it's in style. I think it's in style? 100%. Perfectly in style for 19A, especially with how broad it is. Yep. Um, there's a um, like a vegetal thing happening for me, but I'm not certain if this is like it's just a green beer or if... I, I, are I, you, I think it might be the ounce at flame out that might be a little heavy for the style. Yeah, and that's and that's the only gripe I have is that okay. there is a weird green. I, I don't mean green in the fermentation, which is what no. I usually mean. Yeah, but you mean like like glass grass clipping green? Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. and and I don't I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. So I think we no, would it's, potentially it's, dial back that. It, it's but, just cascade. Yeah. Well, Cascade's going to throw that off if you put in a little bit too much on the late end. So. Clearly also depending on where you you know, you know, source it from. Yeah. Okay. That's my only gripe. Is, is, is that the only gripe, really? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I feel yeah. like Otherwise, there should be more, awesome. Brian. There should, there's usually more. I don't I mean, understand. Honestly, I can't even gripe at all, like that all that much. This is American-style amber. I mean, I expect hops to come through on this mm-hmm. more than what the style will ever say. Uh, That's just right. what we do. So mm-hmm. I, I'm awesome. mad that I like it. That's more is great. better. Honestly, I've been drinking the shit, the shit out of this beer. Yeah. Like, I don't like... American Amber is just one of those styles. Like, I have two extremes. I'm either West Coast IPA or barrel-aged stout. And well, there's not a lot in between that I really like. And, and typically, American Amber is just one that's, it, like, I'll drink it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my go-to. It, it's a fantastic but, little yeah, gateway he, I tried one earlier. I'm like, God damn it. This, this is kind of yeah. good. Ameri- American, <laughs> American Amber craft beer is and was, was the gateway for me. Yep. One. Two. Um, I think to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, we should really wrap this segment up. I'm yeah. sorry. No, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. we're getting there. Um, the uh, the amber that is the most available, most ubiquitous in this market is Alaskan amber, which is technically an alt beer. Yep. Okay. So when what about Unforgiven from Rush River? 
I don't drink enough of that one. But it is, and it, they they sell it as an American amber. Yeah, and I mean it's in town, like it's so. So there's that one too. Yeah, my, yeah, my bad. But I just meant like even more so. Like if you if you go into like other parts yeah, where yeah. Rush River doesn't, you know, or people don't know what the hell that is, but like so most of the do. world, most of the world. <laughs> but yeah, the, this Alaskan amber, it it's um not this. <laughs> yeah. So Alaskan amber is too sweet for me. It's an alt beer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's get to this mead and uh, let BJ talk some because I feel really bad about drinking a beer that he couldn't drink. <laughs> okay. I thought that was to make a it's cool okay. popping I mean, noise. Yeah. It's a still mead. Yeah. Oh, it is. So, uh, so well, BJ, you, you've, you've been listening to Homebrew Bound a little bit. Uh, we were talking a little bit off mic about that. Um, why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's because of your amazing radio voice, Casey. Could be. I I, re- I ran out of other podcasts to listen to. Oh, that makes sense. No. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. probably <laughs> really I'm hard kidding, to kidding. do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you've learned um, a little bit, and then I hope you can teach us a little something about mead because we are all mead dumb. Um, not Jason. I, I, I actually, not Jason. Oh, yeah. I actually Sorry. brew mead. Jason brews mead. I'm. I will not even claim to be an expert. I am. This is totally experimental, and it's just something else to try. Um, normally, with me, uh, so background of my my beer background, I'm I'm a Texas boy. I love Shiner Bock. Um, really, honestly, anything Shiner puts out, I will drink it. Um, I was at a party last night, and I found a six pack of Shiner Cheer, which is you know their holiday beer. It's like a it's a pecan and and peaches beer and I had a few more than I should have. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love their Shiner Cheer. It's. I wish it was around all year long. I mean, um, and I'll try to substitute that with their pecan. It, it sounds delightful. It, 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 it's, it's good. It really I, I love peaches, so you can find it here right up my alley. Do you like them in a can? Here. Yeah. What's up? Because they were put there by a man in a factory downtown. Oh, Millions of peaches. Peaches for me. <laughs> That that song was actually uh, going on in the brewery when I popped in before you got there. <laughs> wow, weird. I know, right? Full circle. All right. Uh, so yeah. So uh, what's 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 this mead? Uh, what are we tasting here? So this is more of a traditional mead because um, there's if you look at the meads, there's dozens of different types and and brews that have been made over the years. This is more from what I found in my research, more of a traditional mead. So it's pretty much just honey water and yeast mm-hmm. it is as simple and as basic as you can get um i like it because it's a little stronger than most it came out um i think i want to say with my final it was around 11.3 abv so it's a it's a stronger brew oh wow yeah it's still sessionable in the ogre scale uh, <laughs> the ogre scale isn't a real scale Gordon. nope uh bj i have to ask how long did this uh age after fermentation so um it was fermented back in May. I originally started fermentation May 19th of 2021. Cool. I bottled it July 1st. So mm-hmm. it has been sitting in bottles in the back of my pantry since July. So that's where we at. 
I, I think six I missed months? five six months. Oh, sorry. Yep, five six months. I think I missed. Um, what where where are we claiming style wise on this? Because if you guys, you know, we do want to talk about a little about me, then we should say that the BJCP guideline or the program looks at these completely different. It's a completely different exam. Mm-hmm. Um, can you judge as a ranked judge like myself? Can you judge me? Yeah. Should you? Should you? Oh, God. No. Oh, not if you're drinking eight of them like I did at the Renfest the one year. <laughs> this, if it's eight of the same mead, then. Or, yeah, whatever. That's fine. Honest, but what, we, honestly, we Dry, though, semi-sweet. I didn't, haven't tasted it yet. So what, what would you consider to be, Jay or Jason or whomever? To me, just because I've tasted a few. We went on a tour down um, in South Texas and stopped in a, a meadery. I guess that's what they call them. Yep. True. Um, down there. And he does, he specializes in more sweet meads. And so I, me personally, with my lack of knowledge, I want to classify it more as a dry and also based on the recipe, because the recipe that I got, they classified it as a dry mead. Okay. Okay. It Um, might kind of be that even medium of a a drier, a sweeter dry mead. Because it's Uh, a little sweet to me. No, no, no fair. Um, What was your uh, final gravity coming up? It was, hold on, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, 1.026 was final gravity. Uh, from what? Oh, was it was 1.110. Okay. So, okay, okay, that makes sense. I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 1.026. I mean, technically, this is actually a sweet mead in terms of okay. statistics. We're talking guidelines, yes. Yeah, uh, it drinks more as okay. a semi-sweet. I think so too. Um, I think to to begin talking about it, we could talk about the aroma, which I think is pretty pretty <laughs> great. I mean, it's so just delightfully for, floral. For, yeah. This for is me, a fantastic honey. What was this the is, honey this is like that you used? Drinking you a already? spoonful of honey, it's so good. W- was this just a wildflower so, honey? Oh, sorry, wildflower honey. So I don't even know honestly what they cl- what they put in the honey. It is. The Costco all natural unfiltered honey. Okay, by, so by they he bee. means the bees. What do, <laughs> what do the bees do? <laughs> so, uh, no, so, I'm no. looking at the bottom. The bead was It is the three pound jug of honey from yep. Costco. I was recommended that for a starter. Yep. Uh, just because it's like $13, $14 for three pounds. Oh, 100%. That's I mean, it's very so smart cost, and very oh, wow. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, a majority of just uh, big box honey and anything that doesn't actually have a label on it, it's just going to be generic wildflower honey. Wildflower clover. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just because it's most common and you don't have to actually like make sure that the bees are like as a beekeeper you don't have to make sure that the bees are only going towards a specific type of flower to like make a specific orange type, huh? blossom for orange example blossom. which or buckwheat is, or uh, yeah. i would like buckwheat honey is so good yeah. avoid yeah. buckwheat honey for what? mead wrong uh, well for mead really? maybe wrong. but <laughs> makes a fantastic brogget that, that, oh, see, yeah, that makes man. sense because then you yep. can pull the sweetness from the the malt. You know, why does it make a bad mead? Because it's I was just, hellbent on using. Uh, it, it, it has a very very molasses type character to it. Okay. So you That's end up with a lot of these sweet. roast characters. It's coming very rummy. Through. Rummy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I still anyway, so this is like clover, wildflower. I'm sorry, we're keeping interrupting BJ yeah. here. My bad, but no, that's fine. I think anyway. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm I want to do this because I wanted to learn too. This is what this this is all an experiment at the end of the day, for me. Um, now, the one thing I did do um, that there is controversy in the mead world is I didn't use a wine or beer yeast. I used Fleshman's bread yeast. 
Interesting. That was that, that no, I mean, I was actually uh, wondering about I get the breadiness, that. yeah. That, that, that explains the yeah. cloudiness, too. Retrospective. You're, you're never going to end up with a clear mead using that. Um, no. And, I, that, and I was disappointed in that because I was yep. hoping I was going to get... And I and I did the... You know, I bottled it, let it set. Or I, I didn't bottle it. I went from the fermenter to another container, let it set for a little mm-hmm. bit, and then did it again. So to try to get as much sediment and yeast out. And I yep. still like when I move these bottles around, you know, there's a fine layer at the bottom just cause it doesn't, it doesn't settle out as well. Cause it doesn't yep. plump up as yeah. well. I mean, or whatever typ- the technical term is. Typical bread yeast is super, super low flocculating. So it's going to stay in suspension. Okay. Um, yeah. and that's also why this ended up, uh, I mean, in terms of numbers wise, ended up classifying more as a sweet mead, uh, ending at a 10, okay. uh, 1026. It's not going to ferment out all the way. It's going to, it's actually going to behave a lot more like a brewer's yeast than it will a wine yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want, if you want to try to play with a very very clean fermenting yeast for meads, and if you want to have something that's going to clarify, mind you, if you're not using any sort of fining, it's going to take forever just because of how clear you need to get this. Um, mm-hmm. you, use champagne yeast. Champagne yeast. It's going to bring this down to uh, basically. Nothing. So 10.0 to uh, point, uh, point oh 0.0999. Uh, no, sorry, point nine 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 nine. So um, it's... I like numbers. this one the way it is. Yeah. I, I love this one. Um, no. Honestly, I I prefer my meads more in that semi-sweet range, and this mm-hmm. is what this actually drinks at. Yeah, and same. I think it's actually okay. because the yeast is still <laughs> a little bit in suspension. so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I like, know. I love Jay, it. I'm going to need you to send me your address because I'm going to be hopping on a plane tomorrow. I got the next few days <laughs> off. and uh... I just like I want to be walking around in garb with mugs of this. Yeah. Uh, and then yelling about how the other guy should have won the joust. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. all I want to... <laughs> but... So the thing that I love about mead is, especially if you're getting local honey, the flavor changes seasonally based on what flowers are actually in bloom at that point. And uh, my wife and I actually have made this a part of our uh, traveling routine where we actually buy enough honey to make a single gallon's worth of mead for everywhere that we go that is local. And then a year to two years down the road, we get to open up that bottle and actually drink that. So it, it, it's a fantastic way, too, if you want to be a little bit nostalgic about it. You can, like, you can get some memories out of a simple bottle of yeah. mead that you have sitting on the shelf for years. Because especially brewing this at 11 to... Well, sometimes we go up to 15% because why not? Um, I mean, it, it's going to be shelf, uh, self-stable for a while. Uh, I, and yeah. I mean, I, I honestly find that very... Neat, but I'm a nerd. So. so, Jason, when 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 you're brewing your your meads, what's your go-to yeast? Are are you using champagne yeast or are yep, you using something else? Yeast, okay, simple champagne yeast, dry champagne yeast, um, especially because we're not a hundred percent sure at the time if we're going to do a, a full five gallon batch or if we're going to do a just a single gallon batch. So, so, so you like semi-sweet meads, yep. right? Um, so are you letting that finish all the way out? Or are you resting at some point? Uh, nope. So we usually let it finish all the way out. Uh, we're generally then treating with uh, potassium metabisulfite and then potassium sorbate, and then we're back sweetening with uh, fresh honey. Okay. All right. So do you, so you reserve some honey from the original yep. to back sweeten? Yep. So that okay. way we get a little bit more control. Um, I mean, I try to do anything that we're doing semi-sweet at about at like a 10-10. And it's 10-10-ish because I'm usually just thrown into a calculator and it's close enough because it's at home. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's 
in, in that in that sense, it's like we we get to have a consistency between batches. But I mean, there's some things that we want to have dry too. Uh, we've done a vanilla chamomile mead at home that honestly tastes like vanilla ice cream for whatever god dang reason. <laughs> One of my favorite so, things. And, and I was. I was about to bring that up because that is the next thing I'm about to start. I'm waiting on the ingredients to come in. Oh. And I'm waiting on um, – so I actually have a bee or a honey company yeah. a mile or two down the road from me. Oh, you're lucky. And uh, I always feel bad. Right? Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. All I know is there's huge trucks and 1,000-gallon containers worth of honey sitting by the side of the road that, you know, at the middle of the night I'd love to go just – Borrow away with some, <laughs> Borrow, you know. I, and I've even said, "Hey, I'll make you a gallon of mead. Just give me a fifty-five gallon drum of oh, honey." You know? We've well, so it's we've not had, an even exchange. We've had uh, beekeepers on Homebrew Bound, and they have uh, and I don't or and ROA, but what uh, what do they call it? The one with all like the bee bits in it. Um, Is fuck. it like grade B uh, or whatever? Grade C? Grade grade shit. Yeah, but anyway, they they, yeah. they have some that they can't sell because it has bee bits in it, but it's yeah. perfect for fermenting. Yep. So, I'm just curious. So, and, and BJ and, and Jason, so with this meat, I mean, it tastes fantastic. I like it is, but if you're going into you know a local competition and you need that clarity, could you throw? Was it a biofine? Yep, biofine. You could biofine this. So. Is that going to affect the flavor though? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, nope. I mean, it might take so a little bit. Of, it might take that? a little bit of the yeastiness out. Uh, Biofine is okay. a synthetic, uh, base. Synthetic Isinglass, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's closer to Isinglass than anything else. Um, but it's it's completely vegan, so it's an addition that you can do that you don't have to worry about actually labeling it because there's nothing in this that is animal byproduct, okay. anything like that. And honestly. Uh, a little can go a long ways in this, and you basically throw it in the bottom of a carboy uh, the moment you're going to transfer that mead uh, from its primary fermenter into its secondary aging vessel. And it okay. will allow it to basically take all of the smaller components that are still sitting floating and make them charged and have them come together, get nice and heavy, and fall out. So... It's something you can look at, but honestly, it's a it's it's an aesthetic thing. The um, okay. majority of it's not now, going to affect flavor too much, unless you have a so the crazy only palette. yeah the only thing I've noticed that that and I, it's a complaint I have personally just on the mead that I made after drinking a bottle of it, which you don't remember a lot after drinking a bottle of this. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. Yep. I'm not. I don't drink a lot, so I have a very low tolerance. Period. <laughs> um, but I burp, like I'm drinking. That's you know, the yeast still regular... on suspension. Okay, so that's so. If I were to able to get it to flocculate out more, get yep. more of the yeast out, you're not going to deal with the yeast burps yep. and the the gassiness later on. Well, yep. Yeah, you're not going to have that homebrewer gut. Okay. Yeah, that, that that's what we call it. We're just <laughs> I mean, it's, that's what I always called it. Like, yeah. but I mean, also this is going to end up clearing out more the more you let it set. Uh, I mean, bread yeast will flocculate and fall out of suspension. It just takes forever, and you can start trying to do yeah. some cold storage if you want to to try to make it fall out more. I don't usually recommend storing mead cold. Mead is more. So the bottle. More wine. The mead, bottle mead I'm wine. drinking. Oh wow, that's way clearer it, than ours. Yep. 
Well, and I also figure sending it through FedEx through mail is it, probably through the mail. up and everything. Yeah. So I got Gordon it. threw it in the back of his trunk and hey, you're not wrong yeah. there. But <laughs> I had it. Well, but I my, had it about what? When did you send that to me? Two, three weeks ago, give or take. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. and I just I let it sit on my on my shelf, mm-hmm. just kind of, and put it there, left alone. <laughs> um, and it was marginally more clear than it is now. I mean, but you're talking. You know, a fifth of a percent, maybe. Well, and it might have got shook up too on the way well, over. Oh yeah, so I, I drove say. an hour to get here. So. Uh, I mean, bottled mead like this, especially someone with a low flock, it it ends up being a lot like a uh, bottled homebrew, bottle conditioned homebrew. Okay. You end up with a lot of yeast that ends up falling in the bottom, and generally, you're assuming that you're wasting you know, about a centimeter's worth of liquid in the bottom if you want to pour it safely and make sure you're not ending up with yeast yeah. in the actual liquid. It's okay. It's, I mean, you're doing it at home for fun, and ultimately, if you enjoy the product, that's all that matters. Yeah, and frankly, you know, we all, like, resoundingly think this one tastes pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you earlier there, BJ. Uh, you had a question uh, when Jason was talking about his chamomile and vanilla, and I'd like to revisit that. Yeah, like, well, I did. What did you want to talk about there? Um, I was just, I, I'm trying to remember now, because, you know, I've, We've talked about other things, so I've lost track of thought. Um, other than, and, and that was, oh, I don't remember what it was. When doing that, in, in any of the meads that you've done, what is your opinion on adding raisins? Because I've heard. Oh, it's natural it's yeast nutrient. I've heard it's, it's fantastic. So okay. it, it, it's 100% and, and a natural yeast nutrient. And with something like this, where, I mean, you're literally adding. I mean, a very, very simple sugar and honey. Honey, thankfully, has more yeast nutrient naturally involved in it than what, like, a stripped-out cane sugar would have. Uh, but it's going to allow for a more healthy fermentation. Okay. So. Interesting. Yep. And that's it, one thing I have done. It's yeah. actually really fun um, because uh, the buoyancy of a raisin, it, it's a great indicator of when you're done fermenting. The raisins will be at the top of the of the uh, liquid line uh, while it's fermenting because of the dissolved CO2 that's actually in suspension. When the, enough of that okay. CO2 ends up out of suspension uh, at the tail end of fermentation, they actually drop to the bottom. So you can use that as an indicator of when you are actually able to move that mead off of yeast cake and into a secondary fermenter to let it age. Hey, so do you want to show so I don't have to do this anymore? <laughs> Dude, meet, meet I, warned, I warned you guys ahead of time. I, I'm a giant nerd and I have no life. No, I, mean, I love I it. This is fantastic, man. Why Why the secondary? For I've always, well, you, um, you're calling it, you know, for uh, fermentation rest. I've heard, you know, on social media, you know, Mead Talk, everybody's heard app. Uh, secondary fermentation where I've heard you guys talk about but secondary. we talk about it specifically with beer right and that's where I'm thinking myself it's, it's it's a conditioning phase okay so just like anything there's gonna be a uh, any sort of uh, fermentation there's gonna be byproducts that could get created during that and it's basically allowing enough time for those byproducts to mellow to a point where they're not perceptible to the palate anymore Um. The other nice thing is something with a high ABV like 11.5 plus, it allows time for that alcohol burn to kind of mellow. So you create something that might be a little bit more of a dry, harsh finish, and it just finishes nice and smooth. Um, and so in, in sitting here drinking this, because I'm 
you know, that far down in my glass. Yep. I noticed more of the sweetness there because when I first, I haven't tasted this mead since I bottled it. Yep. And honestly, it's a completely different yeah. mead at this point. Um, it, it doesn't have that. I was honestly afraid it was going to vinegar. Nope. When I initially bottled it because it, it just, it was so harsh and, you know, that, that alcohol flavor, like it hits you. And now it's sit honestly, sit sit you, on this, this another dangerous. year, BJ. Sit on this another okay. year if you can. You would be surprised just how smooth this will end up being. There's going to be no perceived alcohol burn to this in the slightest. It all you're going to taste is that beautiful wildflower honey sweetness coming through on this. Maybe a little bit of a bready finish just because of the type of yeast that you used. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing I love about meat is it's. It really is a set and forget. You have your brew day, you wait a month, it gets done fermenting, you toss it into a secondary, just check on the bubbler to make sure that you're not getting any oxygen ingress into it, and you can let that son of a gun sit for, mm -hmm. well, we had a chocolate mead sitting for three years. And well, what's the idea wow. of, of adding nutrient along the way? Is um, just at the beginning, just because uh, what you're basically looking at a sugar wash, yeah. uh, especially with a base mead. Um, there's not a lot of excess nutrient that honey's going to bring along to actually benefit a healthy reproduction phase for the yeast. So it's basically. So, so to be clear, we're talking about a yeast nutrient. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, yeah I, no, and I, I was talking I, about feeding. I honestly had a question about that because we yep. get so many micronutrients from malt uh, as far as brewing goes. Yeah. Like, where is that coming that from? Uh, honey does have innately a little bit more just because it's not just a plain, simple sugar. Okay. Um, but obviously you're doing something that's going to end up, I mean, if you're doing it on the home scale, more than likely above 10%, which is innately going to stress yeast just because mm -hmm. of the nature of uh, uh, cellular structure. Raisins actually have a lot of nitrogen content, which helps out a lot with cellular, reprodu uh, cellular reproduction. Fan. Yeast. Yep. Which is, I mean, you can I'm a you fan can, of fan. You can add yeast nutrient into the water when you're heating it to make uh, make your must for the actual uh, mead, or you can just have some raisins on hand and toss them in and call it good. So I mean, so if you're just tossing raisins in, like you're not doing any kind of sanitation with that, like are you worried about any cross contamination or anything like that with uh, raisins? Nope. So um, just heat up your water. Throw the raisin, uh, raisins in the bottom of the actual uh, carboy fermenter, what may have you. Pour the hot water on top of it. Um, I mean, you're looking at 180 degrees minimum. Uh, you're going to spot sandy that in about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So So you don't really so need to worry about the that one too much. Thing I've... Go ahead. Go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, that's the one thing I've never done with, with the meat I've made is I've never actually boil the water. Nope, you don't have to. I've used just normal room temperature. I yep. mean, I say room temperature, you know, whatever came out of the trunk of the car. Yep. You know, when I bought it, because I don't have a good enough filtration in the water. So Texas, that's like 150, 199,000. No. No, so BJ, it's the fantastic thing about mead, and that's why it's so forgiving as a uh, as a beginner homebrew uh, hobby. Um Honey has natural preservatives in it, mm. so you don't really have to worry about uh, boiling out or passivating or preserving anything that you're going to be doing, like, I guess, hot side, so to speak, 
uh, with this. Yeah. Uh, th there's enough preservatives in honey. Literally, you're only heating the water enough to make it so that you can get the honey into suspension. Just because it's so viscous. And, and that's that's one of the yeah that's one of the things I you know I've I've seen the argument back and forth is do you want to have to because there's a I'm trying to remember the name of the channel that I follow. I think it's City Steading or something. They do a ton of mead. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they talk about is if you're not boiling the water, you're sh you have to shake the the crap out of this you know honey water mix, and you're shaking for you know good five ten minutes. And mm. if you're holding you know half gallon of water with three pounds of yeast and a, a gallon sized carboy, that gets heavy after a little bit. Uh, What's your and so they said. Oh. I'm assuming that's uh, more trying to get oxygen ingress. Yeah, so I guess yeah, that, that was oxygen my question. What what kind of uh, what kind of aeration are you looking at with with a mead? So, uh, homebrew level, you have the the dump and pray method, or you have the you use like an O2 wand. Like when you're when you're making mead, like what's are are you using an O2 wand, or are you just kind of dumping it? And honestly, I've made meads up to 18% ABV at home without any form of pre-oxygenation without any form of yeast stress in the slightest. Oh, really? Everything ferments out in about a month. Interesting. Is, is it just because it's all simple sugars? It's, and it's all simple sugar, and I mean, the nice thing is, on a homebrew scale, you're more than likely able to use dry yeast, champagne yeast, which is going to ferment through everything super, super fast. Worst case scenario, just increase your uh, pitch count just a little bit. You don't really have to worry about cellular reproduction at that point if you're starting at a healthy yeast culture to begin okay. with. Okay. I mean, obviously, if you have the means of oxygenating, go for it. It's only going to be beneficial. But, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's mead. It's meant to be simple. Right. It's one of those things we can keep complicating as much as we want, <laughs> yeah. but it's really just it's sugar and water and yeast. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I mean, in, in my, I, I, I love mead just for the, it, it, the nostalgia factor, the historic factor of it, and the simplicity of it. It's, it's a, I want to throw something together today that's going to be alcoholic that I'm going to enjoy two years down the road, and I don't want to put a whole heck of a lot of work into it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, I have gone around and harvested. 10 pounds of black caps for a five gallon batch of mead because it turns out absolutely delicious. But we, we still haven't even bottled that one and we, we did that a year and mm. a half ago. So it, it's a great set and forget hobby. So yeah, uh, BJ, really how, is. How, how many meads have you done now? So this is, uh, is, is the one that we're trying your first mead, right? This is the first one. Yes, this is my first okay. one. Um, I attempted a strawberry mead and it blew up in my sink. That's fair. I didn't. Well, I say blow up. I um, the bubbler um, came up. Air stop. It. Yeah, the bubbler ended up yep. going to the sink. Uh, um, <laughs> blow off tube is yep. going to help you there. Yep. Yeah. So one hundred percent. If well, you do I, anything, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Yep. One hundred percent. If you're going to do anything with mead um, that you're putting anything in during primary, uh, do a blow off tube, dude. It, it's going to yep. save and, and a lot I, of cleanup. Yeah. Mind you. I found that out later. And yep, we found that out the hard way, too. 
I think everybody does. <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? I j- see. If I I found out if I just have my beer ferment at somebody else's house, it makes a mess in their basement. Oh, I buckled mine. a stainless steel fermenter because I didn't have a blow off tube in it. <laughs> like. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but yeah, as far as other meads, I have, I just bottled um, an orange, technically if you want to call it an orange blossom, or it's an or, well, orange peel mead. Ooh. So I peeled, I took the zest from three oranges okay, and put it in there in the initial fermentation. And honestly, initially because of the, the high alcohol, you know, burn tape, you didn't get a lot of the, the orange, but you could smell it. Mm-hmm. It kind of had a, it honestly, t- it smelled like, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like an orange cleaner because of the alcohol and you get the orange flavor. So I was, I got a little nervous at first. Talking about, did I just like, make what, like Gojo or something? Gojo? What? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Gojo. <laughs> yeah. That, is that, is that, that what you meant? Did you mean Gojo? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think he's We were all trying to figure out what the orange cleaner was. He's <laughs> talking about Gojo. Yeah. So that's the best uh, hand cleaner. And man. It, I got some of that in my basement. It really is. And then I'm about to, like I mentioned earlier, I'm about to start a um, vanilla chamomile. And then I want to do a blackberry. I want to finish, I want to actually find, do the strawberry mead. And just a couple others, just to try, you know, different so, things. Uh, I have to ask with those Mellow Mills, uh, are you planning on uh, doing all of your fruit um, addition in primary, or are you going to split that? I think I'm going to split it, especially with what I ran into with the initial one. I yep. think I was going to do a back sweetening with the strawberry especially, because um, I've heard strawberry is one of the worst for that. Strawberry is just a. I don't know why. Strawberry is a very, very mellow fruit, and it's just a pain in the butt to try to get any of that flavor coming. Strawberry through. and peach. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, peach. I throw something else at that. Um, so, my recommendation, uh, if with these melomels, definitely do about half the amount of fruit that you want to do total in primary fermentation. Okay. And if you are going to be, again, doing something with an ABV around this 11.5 or higher percentage, um, you don't really even have to process your fruit all that much um, for the secondary. Literally just freeze it, and then what that's going to do is allow the... um, water that's innately in the cell structure of the fruit to crystallize mm-hmm. and actually penetrate the cell walls and then break it apart exactly so it's going to re- uh, re- um, release that fruit into suspension a lot more uh, so you're going to get a lot of more uh, juice release into secondary and you're going to get a lot more of that okay. fresh fruit flavor actually coming through in secondary uh, a lot of those flavors and aromas are very, very volatile, and they're going to blow off during primary fermentation, especially with something as a simple sugar wash. Well, it's not a sugar wash. It's a must. But it's still simple. It's going to ferment very fast, and a lot of it's going to come off very, very quickly. Like, a lot of those flavors and aromas are going to come off very quickly during primary fermentation. So it's mm-hmm. it's the same concept as like a dry hopping with beer, so to speak. Uh, okay. just, uh, it, it, I'd recommend freezing it because one of two things, it's going to technically sanitize it not quite as much as close close enough close enough close enough especially with the abv that you're going to be throwing at it and then it's going to allow for greater juice release into that secondary fermentation phase and you'd be surprised at the amount of flavor that you're going to end up in that 
Okay. I mean, I even thought about just going and getting a bag of, you know, the Flash Frozen yeah, that works, too, dude. That works. And because I've heard that works great. Now, and I and I'm gonna throw this out because one of the things I want to experiment with is doing it, making me the truly traditional way. Um, getting the the stick because there's because there's um, getting the the mead stirring stick yep. that you know supposedly will gather yeast. And then I want to um, there are some areas around here where you can get blueberries just out in the wild yep. and i've got friends at a property that have acres of blueberry patches and do all that mix do the honey do the water and not add any yeast whatsoever and let it naturally ferment so what what natural yeast is on the fruit and everything do its job okay dj you i know do, it's do you need a, a roommate at all uh because i got availability <laughs> <laughs> nobody oh, wants to adopt a gordon <laughs> <laughs> i'm housebroken <laughs> uh, yeah until you get into the mead <laughs> so uh biggest thing with that is make sure that the skins are still intact with the fruit before you actually mm -hmm. put it in fermenter and you want to make sure that that fruit addition happens below about 90, preferably 80 degrees in the fermenter. Otherwise, you're going to end up killing off whatever natural yeast is sitting on the outside of that. Yes. Uh, this would definitely be something okay. I would recommend throwing some oxygen at because you're not going to have a high pitch count on it. And you're going to end up stressing that yeast. And um, more than likely, you're going to end up with a pretenomyces. That is going to be the natural yeast on the skins. And that is going to throw off an amazing amount of sulfur. And it's going to smell like awful, awful egg farts in wherever you have that fermenter for like four months. And then you're going to be moving this or move, moving the finished product back and forth between uh, carboys to try to aerate it as much as possible to get that sulfur out of suspension. Or you sit on it for two years and hope that it goes away. Is that something... Um, so when... I had my sulfury uh, lager. I uh, put a spunding valve on uh, the outpost and then ran CO2 like through the bottom and then just aerated that way. Would that force the sulfur out or are yeah. we looking at something like way more concentrated than that? No, it's the, it's the same concept. Okay. Um, Brett has a proficiency when stressed, especially in simple sugar musts like cider or mead to throw off sulfur as a byproduct. Okay. Um, if we want to start going down seltzers, it's the same concept with seltzers. Um, obviously, you are in the advantage with a seltzer or I'd even say a cider where you don't have to worry about oxidation nearly as much, so you can vigorously push CO2 through the bottom of that and have a lot of that come off, um, just off-gassing, basically. Sulfur okay. is very volatile. Mm -hmm. uh, beer, the unfortunate thing is, if you do that too vigorously, you're going to end up screwing up your head retention in your final product. So it's that catch-22 with right. beer. With simple sugar... Like alcohols, you you can get away with it. You can just like kind of do whatever, and it's yeah, very much so. Um, I wouldn't recommend that nearly as much with beer. Okay, time time with beer, time with beer. Yeah, well, you know, I had to figure it out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you uh, that's a whole episode. Yeah, you, you did that one. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious, BJ, if you've 
seen anything or read anything on it. Uh, I saw a video of a guy doing a mead. He used what looked like a tart cherry pie filling, you know, like you get it in the can. Yeah. And throwing it in a, I can't remember what kind of bag he called it. Uh, Muslim bag? Yes, thank you. And threw that Muslim into, bag, yeah. yeah, and threw that into his primary fermentation first. Yeah. It's it's pasteurized, so you're good to throw it oh, in whenever. Oh, so you're fine to go. Yeah. I wasn't sure because yeah. it comes with that little syrupy stuff in there. Yep. That yep. No, it, 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 more it's, simple it's sugar. pasteurized. Yeah. So, yeah, you're just basically yeah. increasing your original gravity. So you're just making more alcohol, which is awesome. Um, but, yeah, anything like that that's pre-pasteurized, you shouldn't have to worry about throwing it ahead of time. And, honestly, it's one of the biggest reasons that we usually heat our water before we make our meads because we like to make a lot of melomels. So we're throwing fruit into primary fermentation, and we use the heat from bringing that water up to near boiling temperature just to make sure we're pasteurizing that fruit before we end up pitching yeast. Right. So we're uh, we're bumping into that hour uh, here. <laughs> oh, I told you before. Uh, no, I, I, I know. I know. Uh, but uh, BJ, I, I want to give you the chance. Uh, you you have you have this mind to pick. Uh, if there's any final questions that you have that uh, you want answered on air, otherwise, I'm sure Jason will give you his email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, I've learned something. You know, and and just listening to the podcast, I'm not the biggest beer drinker. One, just because, and that was a question that was actually why the mead? Why did I get into it? I wanted something I could drink that um, was easy to drink. I have a slight aversion to extremely hoppy beers. Um, I know IPAs, people love IPAs, and I'm, I'm not going to hate on anybody that has IPAs. I honestly think their taste buds are destroyed at this point. <laughs> if you can handle uh, some of the IPAs that are out there. Fair um, enough. I, I went through the beer flight thing at one of our local, you know, taverns that, and I had to drink the IPAs and I stomached them down, but going with this and, and I, I love wine. And what is one of the things I love to do with my wife is going to wineries and different things and getting into the old, you know, the, the, the ancient tradition of brewing and, and fermenting. And that's I, why I love it. And it's simple. And for those that are wanting to get into it, and I've told a lot of people that are wanting to get into the home brewing, they're, you know, I want to start brewing beer. I want to do this. I'd give them the same advice I was given. Start cheap, start simple. I've got $100 invested in four gallons of mead. And that turned into, that'll be at the end of the day, almost 40 bottles. Yeah. I yeah. think 40, 12 ounce bottles. I think that's what it comes out to. Something around there. A normal bottle of mead is twenty to thirty dollars a bottle. Yep. At that point. So and if I you know, if you mess up one bottle, I did the math. I was out fifteen dollars. Big whoop. I can stomach fifteen dollars worth of pouring stuff down the drain. Uh, and I've heard ruining a batch of beer can cost a lot more than that. Exactly. You know what you're doing. Don't don't pour that mead down the drain, uh substitute it as a cooking wine. Oh shit. No. Oh. Well, I mean, I say pour it down the drain. When I had the, the strawberry mead blow up on me, and okay, bit, that's fair. You know, that's yeah, I got you. I was, yeah, I was like, no, I'm, I don't, I don't know how to save this. I was way too inexperienced. And then, of course, two weeks later, I'm listening to a podcast about mead, and they're like, hey, if you ever have your mead, do this, do this. I'm just like, all right, face bomb. I could have googled it and probably saved myself. But yeah, it, it happens, what it dude. Is. It happens. No yeah. worries. But I appreciate y'all having me on and oh no, thanks thanks no, for coming. And, uh, honestly, thanks, thanks for the mead. Like that was yeah, awesome. Thank you. Very delicious. My only gripe is that we're it, out. <laughs> we are out. It we makes, can't drink it all. It makes.
makes me feel a little bit better because I've had some friends and family taste this and, you know, I don't know if they just, I was like, no, well, maybe they're just not want to hurt my feelings and they're saying, oh, it's good or whatever. But the, having some people that I don't really know and taste it and go, oh, yeah, it's good. Like, I, okay, cool. I didn't screw up. The friends and family tasting thing when you start brewing anything is the hardest because yeah. they just like free alcohol. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Especially my friends. Again, I, I come from a family of Bud Light and Bush Light drinkers. Uh, you throw anything that's yeah. more than water at them, they're probably just going to throw it in your face. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, uh, BJ, thanks for coming on. This was a blast. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, roll some. Ooh. Oh, that, is that was way too loud. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no. I forgot I had, like, they're on the same channel, and that became a whole problem. Start the uh, episode over. <laughs> if you guys have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and just an email at feedback at blindnessviews.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Ninja. and I'll see you guys next week. Peace.